John 8, 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What a verse. May God bless the reading of the word of God. Now, as I've been speaking, I've been trying to think of how the Lord Jesus referred to himself. He referred to himself as a great physician, a doctor, a good shepherd who cared for his sheep. He referred to himself as the Lamb of God. He referred to himself as a sower. He referred to himself as a door. I am the door. He referred to himself as a well, the one who brings real satisfaction. But here he's referring to himself as the light of the world. What a tremendous claim. What a tremendous statement. You know, I don't know about this chart behind me. I, I wonder, you know, if I could make a change to it, if I was to ever redo it. I, I wonder if it would be slightly more lighter up here and then getting darker and darker and darker before we get to the pitch darkness down here. You see, I believe that God has shone his light on the whole human race. You know, the light of creation dawns upon everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what religious persuasion you are. You know, my Bible tells me in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where its voice is not heard. So whether I'm down there in, uh, down there in South America, up there in Siberia, whether I'm born into an atheistic family, whether I'm religious, God speaks in the light of creation. You know, I sometimes used to ask the, a first-year class, when we get a bit of a blackboard, you don't know what a blackboard is, do you, the young folk, but we used to have to use them, you know, a bit of blackboard, and we would say, right, that's the Milky Way. Somebody come out and draw, please, for us. Somebody come out and draw our solar system. Put on that blackboard there, put on Jupiter, put on Uranus, put on Neptune, put on Earth, put on Mars, and put on our sun. Come on, someone come out. And a wee boy or a wee girl would come out, and there was the Milky Way, and they would do something like this here. And then someone else would come out, and then somebody, maybe who'd been reading a bit more widely, would come out and just put a wee dot. And they were the ones that were right, you know. That the whole of our solar system, including Jupiter, of which you and I, can, the Earth can fit into it 1,200 times, and including our Sun, of which we can fit into it millions of times, which is 1,500 million kilometres from us, is just a speck in our own galaxy. And there are hundreds of millions of galaxies with thousands of millions of stars. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a tremendous demonstration of God's light upon the human race. You know, way back in the book of Genesis, you know, <clears throat> Abraham was told there was as many stars in the sky as there was grains of sand by the seashore. Nobody believed them, of course. Nobody believed Abraham, nobody believed that. The Greeks, you see, could count it. About 3,000 stars in the northern hemisphere and a similar number in the south. They could spot them, they could look at them, they could locate them, they could pinpoint them. It wasn't only till 500 years ago, I not far from here, that Galileo built his first telescope. A little crude instrument, a piece of wood with two lenses, and Newton built one 15 years later, and they saw there was thousands of stars. And now we have a Hubble telescope, and other ones after that, with hundreds of millions of galaxies, and each galaxy thousands of millions of stars. And the old book was right, way back in the book of Genesis. You know what? God's light's been shining a rather long time. I met a man, you know, one day, and he said to me, if only God would write his message in the sky. I almost fell a bit laughing. I often think he thought it was like an aeroplane with a little band going out the back of it, like we sometimes see a message advertising. I said to him, how big do you want the letters to be? How big do you want the message to be? I says, his maker has made it as big as the universe. God is great, ladies and gentlemen. He's absolutely majestic. 
And the Lord Jesus claimed to be God. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. And the great Creator stood on planet Earth. That's amazing. And He's the Creator of the universe. The light of creation. You know what the Bible tells me in Romans chapter 1? That that light of creation, that men took that light of creation that the invisible things of him were clearly seen, being understood by the things which were made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And yet, it says that their evil heart was darkened. They rejected that light. And they turned the incomprehensible God into an image made like unto man and beasts and four-footed beasts. And they began to worship the creation more than the creator. And they turned the great majestic light of heaven of God himself and they began to worship the human race and material things. And here the light's been shining a long time but men have turned from it. You know, if you never had a Bible and nobody ever told you the story of Jesus you you would know that God was great. You would know that God was huge. And you would know that God's a God of absolute magnitude <clears throat> you would also know that God was a God of order and intelligence because you know what you breathe in oxygen don't you you breathe it in and we breathe out carbon dioxide and what do the plants do oh they, 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 they breathe in the carbon dioxide and they give it the oxygen you know that that's just a design isn't it I mean, nobody could, nobody could make it up it's a design and you know the boys were throwing the dice the other day and I was asking them what the chances were of throwing a dice if they throwing a six and they were getting it right, one in six. And I said, what's the, throw, what's the chance of throwing it twice? Two sixes. And they got it right, one in 36. You know, if I started telling you I was throwing a dice, and every time I threw the dice, I threw it a hundred times in front of you, and every time I got a double six, you'd be getting that dice off me and saying, this isn't chance, this is design, you're at it. The fact that we see things happening again and again and again and again in our creation tells us it's a designer. Like a little caterpillar turns into a butterfly every time. There's something unique about it. God's a God of order. And men have been given that light. And if they've never had a Bible, God's been still shining light on them. And that's why he says you're without excuse. I want to tell you something. The light of reason has also been given. I'm sitting speaking here and you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure if I agree with this man. Or you're reasoning in your mind. You're thinking thoughts anyway. You're a rational being. You're an intelligent person. And I trust that all of us are thinking as we speak. And the fact that you do have rational thought means that these don't come from irrational processes. If blind unconscious forces produce rational thought, then ladies and gentlemen, I sit on the platform today and I tell you I don't know if I'm rational. But the truth is, the fact that we have intelligent thoughts, the fact that we can think rational thoughts, and we don't believe that rational thoughts come from blind unconscious biochemical processes, means there's an intelligence behind it. Because every time I see information, I see intelligence. And it tells me that the God who made me is also a God who's intelligent. And he's given you the light of reason. And he's given you the light of conscience. You're a moral being. So that if you've never had a Bible, there was a man we were just speaking to, not 400 yards from here. And we were just pointing out to him that he knew the Ten Commandments even though he didn't have a Bible. It's hardwired in his head. I said, do you believe that it's wrong to steal? Oh, yes. Do you believe it's wrong to take someone else's life? Oh, yes. Do you believe it's wrong to, um, to illicitly desire your next-door neighbour's wife? Oh, yes. I said, well, you know what? God's just hardwired it in your head. That's commandments 8, 9, and 10. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says he's put conscience. He's hardwired it into your DNA. C.S. Lewis, who spent a fair bit of time not far from here in Oxford, he said, you know, if there was a man dying in a river and he fell into the river, he says, your first instinct would be, I've got to help that man. He says, that's common to all species, the care instinct. He says, the second thought would be, oh, the fear instinct, I'll fall in the river and I'll get swept away. He says, that's common to all species. He says, but just as quickly, a third thought would come to your head. The right thing to do is to help that man. And that inbuilt regulator of right and wrong is unique to the human race. It's called your conscience. And God's put it right inside you. So that if you never had a Bible, the light of conscience is shone upon you. And so Romans chapter 2 says, we're without excuse. And what we've done is we've gone against not only the light of creation, but we've gone against the light of conscience. There was a time, you know, when our conscience told us not to do something. And we did it. And the second time it told us not to do something, and we did it. By the time we've done it a thousand times, it's no longer working. It's been cauterized. It's been desensitized. Light's been shining, ladies and gentlemen, but we continue down into the darkness of our sin. The light of Holy Scripture. I do hope you own a Bible. See, if you don't, please take one. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is a light from heaven. And God speaks through it. I was saved, you know, through the light of Scripture. Someone said to me, these words, maybe you've heard them before, I'll repeat them to you. The golden text, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believed it. I believed that God loved me. I believed that whosoever was, was willing to come to him, I believed it. I believed that he had one son. I believed that that son had been, it had been provided for me at the cross. That he died for my sins. And I just accepted I could believe in him. And I believe I got everlasting life. He spoke through the light of Holy Scripture to my soul. I, I remember Romans 10 and 9 being like a floodlight coming up. It was like the page of Scripture just shone in letters gold. If you shall confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, I've done that. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I believe that. Thou shalt be saved. Oh, it was just like it shone in gold. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I tell you, it's great to be saved. The light of scripture. I tell you, read the Bible because God speaks through the Bible. And he'll reveal his son to you through the holy scripture. The light of reason. The light of, the light of conscience. <clears throat> the light of scripture. What about the light of the Holy Spirit? You know, the Bible tells me that in this very room today, there's a divine being. And he's called the Holy Spirit. We don't speak about him enough, you know. You know, it says in John 16 concerning the Holy Spirit, it says concerning the Holy Spirit that he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So that even as you sit in the seat, or perhaps at night, or maybe yesterday morning, a little verse of a little chorus he used to sing at Sunday school came into your mind. Or perhaps a little verse of Holy Scripture. Or perhaps somebody said something to you then, and somebody else, without knowing that somebody had said that, said it to you a few hours later. And you're saying, what's going on here? Why is this happening to me? It's because God's speaking to you by his Spirit. So that even if you've never had the Bible, and you've never been told the story of the Lord Jesus, he's speaking to you directly. And he's bringing to you your sin. And the righteousness of Christ. And a future judgment. And he's warning you, you need to be saved. I believe the Holy Spirit is shining light right now.
but you can resist it. You know he'll not force you into heaven. And he'll not force you into glory. One thing I know about heaven is it's full of light. That's the one thing I do know about it. It says the Lamb is the light thereof. It's full of light. Can you imagine a world where there's no darkness? Can you imagine a world where it says there's no night there? I can't. I've been so inured to it. It's almost like darkness has been so much part of our existence. No night there. That's heaven. And he wants to take us to a place full of light. Oh, and by the way, there's no need for light bulbs or candles or fluorescent tubes. It says the Lamb is the light thereof. The very source of light is Christ himself. And there was a man on earth, ladies and gentlemen, and he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And that's the greatest light of all. Even greater than the light of scripture, even greater than the light of conscience, even greater than the light of reason is that God himself intervened in human affairs. And in Bethlehem's manger, wrapped in swaddling bands, was none other than Emmanuel, God with us. God incarnate. God in flesh. God is a carpenter. God is a boy. God is a man. It's amazing. That's what the scripture teaches. He was really here. Not for a day. Not for a week. But for 33 and a half years, my Saviour walked the very streets of Palestine. Yeah. Really here. Really working, living amongst real people. Talking to real people. Touching real people. Changing real lives. And this is what his claim is. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When he was born, you know, You'll remember it was a night scene. You'll remember, you'll remember it says that the angels came to the shepherds and said, Run to you is born this day in the city of David, which is a saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And they were watching over their flocks by night. Into the darkness, as it were, came the light of the world. The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them that sat in the shadow of death, light was sprung up. Galilee of the Gentiles. Yes, light came into the world at his birth. Light was there, you know, at his death. You might remember it was midday. And a strange thing happened at Calvary. A darkness came down for three hours. A darkness that could be felt. My saviour died. Having endured three hours of darkness. Endured the pain the blame, the shame, the guilt, the punishment of the sin of the whole human race. Christ died for our sins. If I could just give you a little understanding of what it meant to God to have his son abandoned in the darkness of Calvary, to have his son in solitariness, to unleash and unsheath the blade of divine justice, and plunge it through the soul of his own son. To amass the wickedness of the human race. And to allow the righteous wrath of God to fall upon the sinless man. Then you'll understand just something of the darkness of Calvary. You know it was on the third day. When Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. It says it was yet dark. And the morning rose. A morning that would never be repeated. And they said, who shall roll us away the stone? But they needn't have bothered because the stone was already rolled away. 
And the angel said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and the resurrection morning shone. Ladies and gentlemen, he's alive. He's alive forevermore. And the Bible tells me he's coming back. And he's coming back in a blaze of glory. My Saviour is the light of the world. And you desperately need him. There is no one that he doesn't come for. We've been trying to preach this as we've been preaching about the door here. I am the door by me. If anyone enters in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. There's light. There's a light. There's an illumination of every heart. And the Spirit of God's working with you. And your conscience is working with you. And creation is constant with you. And scripture's working with you. But Christ himself reveals himself to you. And reveals that he's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And the danger is you'll turn away into the darkness. Because the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because of deeds of evil. I don't know what you call the little little grey creature under the brick here. In Scotland we call them slaters. I suspect you might call them woodlouse. Hope you know what I'm talking about. You open the brick and there it is. And what does it do next? It runs away back into the darkness, isn't it? Can I cope with the light? It's a little picture, you know, of sin. And when the light of the gospel comes, people run. You know, in our house once, I was quite happy that the light bulbs were quite dim because the decorating had to be done. And I remember we got this far too bright bulb and that was it. My wife was saying to me, look at this, Craig. There's stains in the walls and everything. Light just reveals us, doesn't it, what we don't want to see. I wonder if you've ever felt the search gaze of God on your life. I wonder if you've ever felt the light of the world falling upon you. I wonder if you've ever felt your sin in God's presence. I wonder if you've ever felt your wickedness. Because I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're all made of the same stuff. Men and women love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. That's what the Bible says. But there is light. There is an illumination of your mind if you want it. And there is a man that can save you. My brother Jonathan took me to Kibo College just last week there. We were there to see the light of the world. Unfortunately, the painting had moved. We only saw a print. But I'm pretty certain most of us are aware that a man called Holman Hunt did paint a painting called The Light of the World, a very famous painting for Keeble College in London. In Oxford, rather. <clears throat> and you know, it's a right dusty kind of door. It's got, you know, lots and lots of, lots of greenery around about it. And we all know there's no handle on the front. And Holman Hunt said that he felt a divine responsibility to paint that painting. And he always said, the reason there's no handle, because the handle's on the inside. He says, I painted the picture of the obstinate mind. Mind you, that was clever. You see, my dear friend, we have a picture of a man with a lantern outside saying, in the words of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He wants you to open the heart's door. But there's an obstinate, dark mind that won't open it. We sometimes sing a little hymn back home in Scotland with the children. At your heart's door, the Saviour's knocking. At your heart's door, fast closed by sin, don't you hear him gently knocking? Draw the bolt and let him in. I want to tell you there's a lovely man who says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And he really means it. He wants to come in and illuminate your mind, illuminate your life. 
He doesn't want you to remain in the darkness of your sin and the depravity of your sin. He wants to change you. He's worthy of your trust. And that same blessed man died in the darkness of Calvary for you and rose again. There's a little verse in James, you know, that I once noticed something and it's always appealed to me. It's in James chapter 1. And it says, Every good gift and every perfect kind of giving comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is, in the King James Version it says, with whom there is no variableness, nor a shadow cast by turning. I noticed that that word variableness was a Greek word called parallax. And being interested in science, I knew what parallax meant. Parallax is when you plot a star here, and then you move maybe just 100 miles down the road, the star appears to move. And it's just to do with the way that light refracts as it hits our atmosphere. And it's really saying, every good gift and every perfect kind of giving comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no parallax. In other words, you change your position, he'll never change his. There's no shadow cast by turning. We know that the earth turns, and it's dark. And it turns again, and it's light. He says, you turn your back on him, me. There's no shadow cast by turning. You turn your back on me, I'll never turn my back on you. That's the man I represent tonight. I want to tell you, he loves you even though you've not loved him back. And he loves you despite your sin. He hates your sin. He loathes it. But he loves you. He loves you even though you've walked away from him. He loves you even you've used his name as a swear word. He loves you even though you've done despicable dark things. And he says, I am the light of the world. He that comes to me. That's all he's wanting now. You see, to come to him. I am the light of the world. He that comes to me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He's not interested in your religious position. He's not interested in what church you belong to, what creed you've got. He's interested whether you've come to him. That's it. I am the light of the world. He that comes to me. You say, it can't be as simple as that. It is. It's his words, not mine. This is the words of the eternal Son of God. I am the light of the world. He, he that comes to me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, there's a place in Scotland called Blackness Castle. It's on the side of the River Forth. And you know what? One of the martyrs of Scotland in the killing season was placed in the Blackness Castle. A Christian martyr, you know. Do you know what he carved on the side of the cell? He found it after he'd been executed. He quoted the words of Jude's epistle. He says, I'd rather be in the darkness of Blackness Castle than to be in the blackness of darkness forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I must warn you in the fear of God. There's one thing I know about hell and the lake of fire. It's dark there. The Bible calls it the blackness of darkness forever. And if you continue to avoid the light, you walk down a road that only leads one direction. A place where there's no light there. It's dark. We're not trying to be a, make, make you afraid and trying to bring you, into, bring you into salvation by fear. We've discovered that that doesn't work. But I want to tell you, we tremble as preachers to tell you that God will judge you for your sin. We tremble to tell you that. And we warn you in the light of eternity, there is light, there is hope, 
there is joy, there is love, there is peace, there is a man that can illuminate your darkened mind. But if you turn from the light of creation, if you turn from the light of your conscience, if you turn from the light of your reason, if you turn from the light of the Spirit of God working in you, working in you, if you turn from the light of Scripture, if you turn from the light of Christ, you'll go to the blackness of darkness forever. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we're preaching. We're preaching for eternity. And we warn you in the fear of God about these things. Remember this. There's no greater darkness than rejected light. If you reject him, there's no other source of light. When you come with us to a place where it says the lamb is the light thereof, there's, you know, it's not as if there's any conditions laid on the offer. It's just come to me. He's not asking you to do anything. He's done it all, actually. He's done everything. But he wants you to come. He's used a very simple illustration. He's the light of the world. I appeal to you. I beseech you in Christ's stead. Come to Christ. Hear again his claim. May the Spirit of God rivet into your mind. May it not go out your mind until you've got God's salvation. Jesus said, or the Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that comes to me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. May God bless you. Now let's turn to the scriptures again, please. This time to the Old Testament, to Isaiah's prophecy and the ninth chapter. We're going to take a a few select readings through this lovely book. And my exercise now is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace. My brother has brought before you the light of the world. Uh, I want to tell you about the Prince of Peace. Let's turn to Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. The 26th chapter. Same book, chapter 26. And verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. The 52nd chapter. Verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation. The next chapter, 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded 
for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Finally, 57, chapter 57, for a final reading. Isaiah 57 and verse 21. We'll read verse 20. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. I would conclude that one of the most desired possessions of people upon earth today would be the very subject that we've read together in the scriptures. Peace. We live in a world that craves for global peace. We live in a country that would crave national peace. I don't know, but I can only assume knowing something of my own background and something of the fellow beings that I associate with. But maybe I'm speaking into the hearts of an individual tonight. And there's something you crave among your family members. And that's peace. Maybe there's a marriage here tonight. And you're troubled. And things have come in and you just long for peace. But you know what I really long in this meeting tonight is this. That there would be a heart. There would be an individual in this meeting. That before God. Yet you have no peace. And yes you long for peace. Peace to the troubled conscience that we've been hearing about. Concerning the matter of sin. Concerning the great truth that I'm not right with God. The manifestation of God being within us, says the scriptures, and the consciences enlighten you, and the preaching of the word of God in the gospel this evening leaves you without a doubt. And you know you have no peace with God. I tell you in this meeting, my friend, through the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can find peace with God. Peace to a troubled conscience. There have been many, a couple, who have come to trust in Christ and there has been peace that has come into a house. Many a family, I could take you to families in the New Testament where whole families were saved by trusting Christ and the whole family knew what it was to find peace. Peace not only with God, but peace with one another. I'm speaking to couples, I'm speaking uh, concerning couples in this very tent tonight and they know what it was for peace to come into their very home. One was saved, another was saved. Individual peace with God. I want to tell you, my friend, there's going to come a day when the whole world will know peace. Global peace. True peace. In fact, I read... Uh, just a quote by Yoko Ono this week. You all would know maybe who she is, the wife of late John Lennon. Well, there was trouble in a football match. The World Cup is on. 
and she was she made a quote she left a, a twitter feed and she said something to the effect that uh, if we want to know what true peace is <coughs> we all just need to love one another well you would think after 6000 years of human history we we would have worked that out by now if that was the case you would think after 6000 human ye- years of human history that somehow we would have obtained global peace by now if it was as simple as that my friend I'm speaking into the hearts and lives of individual tonight and you know, you know that you have no peace to a troubled conscience. You know you have no peace about this matter that you've sinned against God. It troubles you, it keeps you awake at night and you have no peace and you know that we will li- we live in a world that would love peace, they covet peace. Instability in the Middle East, wars on every hand financial insecurity there is no peace my God says to the to the wicked we want to know why we live in a world that has no true peace it's because it's a world that's inhabited by sinners sin destroys peace if we were to go back to the first book of the Bible and you would I would take you to the second chapter and God had made man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and it says man became a living soul with a moral obligation now to glorify his God. It wasn't too long before you get into chapter 3 and you'll read that the very harmony between God and man, the very fellowship that Adam in the Garden of Eden experienced with his God was severed. By one single act of disobedience. An act of disobedience against his creator. Brought in the tragic consequence of death. And it has destroyed the peace of mankind from that day to this. And men and women are slaving away as we speak. Trying to find peace in their own efforts. You know the tragedy is this my friends. There is a verse in the New Testament that tells me this. There's a verse in the Bible. That one day when Christ has taken the Christians out of the world. There will come an occasion when this world thinks they have obtained peace. There will be a man who heads up this world. A central government, a central global government over this world. It's told forth for us clearly in the Bible. And men and women will think they've obtained global peace without Christ and without God. And it tells me in this in the Bible, when they shall say peace and safety, then shall sudden destruction come. <clears throat> sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a woman with child. And it says this. And they shall not escape. That's the judgment of God. That's what my brother has been bringing to you in this meeting. That there is a consequence for sin. There is a real hell. There is a real place called the lake of fire. There is a real place where there is the blackness of darkness forever. 
In these gospel meetings, we have to bring you the solemn consequence of what it is to live and die in rejection of the very light of the world. It's been brought before you. I felt I could just get up and close the meeting tonight. The gospel has been preached to you. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, has been presented to you in your darkness. But men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. There is a tragic scripture that is penned for us in the New Testament. I find it a tragedy just to read such words. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Men who love darkness rather than light. It says in the Bible that they sit in darkness in the shadow of death. It tells us in that verse, bound by the grip. It says it's like iron. In Psalm 107. Bound by fetters. The grip of iron. And you know tonight. That though you've longed for peace. Maybe you've tried meditation. Maybe you've tried some mystic. Eastern religion. Maybe you've lit the incense candles and sat quietly. And you know tonight you do not have peace with God. Well, my friends, I'm very, very thankful you're here. Because in this tent, we're going to preach to you how you can find peace with God. It's already been preached to you. But we're going to testify again to you tonight, young or old, great or small, how that you can know peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read, There is no peace, saith my God, unto the wicked. But I'm very thankful that we were able to read a verse together in Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, we read concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. You know, my friends, I am thankful for what my brother has been preaching to you. I'm thankful that he's presented to you the light of this world, the person of God's Son, Jesus Christ. I thank God every day for the incarnation of his blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took upon him a body. Yes, he took upon him manhood. A real body, a real tangible body came into this world, born of the virgin, lived in Nazareth, raised in a carpenter's home, moved among people, it tells me in the Bible, doing good, healing those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. What a person we have to preach to you. Jesus Christ, he's none less than the Son of God who came from heaven to earth to deal with the problem of sin. I'm thankful that my brother preached to you concerning the light of the world. I was thinking of that delightful verse at the very dawn of creation. God said, let there be light. And he divided it from the darkness. 
He saw the light that it was good. And I just think of the days when God looked upon his son. Upon planet earth. A perfect man. In the midst of sin. And God saw that it was good. Finally one had arrived. How beautiful are the feet of him. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that publisheth peace. I want to tell you my friends. Jesus Christ came with a message. And is the message of how you can have peace with God. It's told for us in the tremendous verses that we read together in the following chapter. We love to preach to you concerning the very cost, the very price of peace, the very cost for you to have peace with God, my dear friends, was paid by Christ at Calvary's cross. Listen to these verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He paid the very price that we might have peace with God. Yes, us as guilty sinners in the sight of God. The Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross, God's beloved Son, He paid the supreme price that we can have peace with God. You need not linger in your confusion and in your darkness and in your sin and in your unrest. You may have peace with God in this very tent by trusting in Christ. The verse we read together, Trust ye in the Lord. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord. I want to urge you in this tent. You know the Lord Jesus, we read that he is the very prince of peace. We read that his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace, of his government. You know there's coming a day, my friends, I was speaking to someone at a door about it today. A lady who told me she was a Jew and we were speaking about the things of the Old Testament. You know, God's Son has touched down on planet Earth and on his first occasion here he dealt in totality with the issue of our sin and death. At the cross, Jesus Christ dealt with the issue of sin. I can tell you in this meeting, my friend, that through those verses that we read together, where he paid the supreme price that we might have peace, he was wounded for our transgressions. By the way, did you notice that verse? Here's the wounds. Ours the transgressions. Here's the bruise. The crushing. Ours the iniquities. Here's the chastisement. 
ours the peace. His the stripes. Ours the healing. You see, it doesn't change on this side for him. Wounded. Crushed. Chastised. Striped. Transgressions. Yes, that's us. Iniquities. Yes, that's us. But I tell you in this meeting it can change for you. You can know peace. And you can know healing. Through the mighty work of Christ accomplished at Calvary's cross. You know we have such confidence in this message. I'm going to read to you those verses that we read in chapter 26 again. We have such confidence. I want to read and explain this verse as I read it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Thou wilt guard him around. It's like the idea of being set about by a garrison. Thou wilt preserve him in perfect peace. True peace. Listen. Whose mind is stayed on thee. It's the idea of one who just leans upon Christ. Some folk tell me that's just your crutch. It's just your prop. You know, it's the very idea of this word here. It's a crutch or a prop to lean on. I tell you, my friends, in this meeting, we all have a prop. But you know, for every prop apart from Christ, it will shatter in a coming day. But I'm thankful to tell you tonight that I am resting wholly and solely upon Christ. We sometimes sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His mind is stayed on thee, not his sight now. By faith I trust the word of God. I trust Christ through the word of God. You know what amazes me is this. People scoff and mock this book and they say it's just a book that's been written by men. Then they'll go down to the library and get a book from Dawkins and believe what he says. He's having a conversation by one man with one man in the street on one occasion about these things. And it was, he just scoffed the Bible. It's just a book been written by men. You can't trust it. And how could you believe what men... <clears throat> I asked him what he believed. He told me he was a evolutionist. I asked him if he origin if the message originated with him, the thoughts originated with him. He said no. He had to acknowledge the idea didn't originate with him. So you believe what you read in a book that was written by men? Why do you poke holes in me then? He had to acknowledge that it was a fair point. But I can tell you this book has stood the test of time. It's transformed lives. The book you receive from the hand of Charles Darwin or whoever it may be concerning the message of evolution, it leaves you at the grave with no hope. I'm thankful. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me they plead. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. 
Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Let's pray.